What's up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Game Scoop. I'm your host, Dana Hatfield. Joining me this week are Sam Claiborne. Hey, everyone. Justin Davis. Scoop. And sitting in for Tina again is Seth Macy. What's shaking, everybody? Welcome back, Seth. Tina will be back next week. Uh, it's a special Gamescom edition of Gamescoop next week. And uh, there's probably a 50% chance that I will not be on, that, on Gamescoop next week, because I think I mentioned before, my wife and I are expecting our second child any day now. So uh, I will be taking some time off when the baby arrives. But fear not, Tina will be taking the reins of Gamescoop while I'm out. We've got a great show for you this week. Uh, we're going to talk about our our favorite types of, of pixel art, uh, whether which types of pixel art we prefer, and whether or not we're actually <laughs> maybe getting sick of it, as I think maybe some people are. Uh, we also got to talk about the best way to play old games, if you're just playing them today, games like Super Metroid, for example. But first, let's start uh, with a very recent game and a very uh, an interesting news story this week and kind of a sad news story from this week. It's about Outriders, uh, a game that was released earlier this year, I believe April 1st. Funnily enough, the game was out. And uh, the Outriders dev, People Can Fly, since then, does not know how many copies they've sold. The game is published by Square Enix. Square Enix apparently has not shared that information with People Can Fly. But the thing is, they haven't received any royalties from Square Enix. So that leads them to believe that the game has not been profitable yet for Square Enix. So the kind of... Uh, embarrassing thing for people can fly is that they had to announce this on their own investor website. People can fly explained that the agreement with Square Enix meant it would receive royalties for the game's first quarter uh, by August 16th, which was just this week, but no funds were transferred. And this, this is them. This is people can fly typing this on their public webpage. No funds were transferred, which people can fly suggests means that according to the publisher, the revenues from the sale of the game are lower than the total costs of its production, including quality assurance, distribution, and promotion. Mm. Uh, the developer goes on to say, we don't have any sales figures for Outriders. We estimated at between two and three million units and assumed this was a result that would ensure profitability for this project in the first quarter of sales. The lack of payment by the publisher probably means that according to Square Enix, this is not the case. The uh, CEO, his last name is, I believe, pronounced Wojciechowski, also suggests that a lack of profitability could be caused by the publisher. So it could be Square Enix's fault, uh, including distribution partnerships, uh, which could mean Game Pass. The game mm. did launch into Game Pass on Xbox. Maybe that's something that Square Enix worked out and People Can Fly was not involved in. Or that Square Enix spent more than expected on releasing the game. So I think I, you know, I didn't play Outriders. I don't think it's it's my type of game, but um, I do think this is kind of an interesting situation. Uh, I mean, I thought the game was a big hit. Well, so that's the thing. I actually have, I went back for MPD numbers. It was it was the fourth best selling game in April, but right. it, I guess it launched earlier or something because it was the third best selling game in March. Mm. Even though it was okay. oh, actually I know what I know what the reason is. MPD's numbers there's overlap. Uh, from month to month, it like goes oh, yeah. over or back uh, two or three days. So that's why. Um, yeah, and there was like there was like just anecdotally, a lot of staff mm-hmm. played it. There was hype at the time because there wasn't there wasn't much else to play, and it was a it was like a reviewed well game. Like it just seems like that's a recipe for a game to come out of nowhere and and you know do well enough to uh, be potentially profitable, but maybe not in this short of time. The uh, y- yeah, but you would think the third or fourth best selling game like surely would have you know tripped over that level. Um, right. The the Game Pass thing is interesting. It reminds yeah. me a lot of uh, the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit with Disney for Black Widow, where she mm. had a deal to get a share of the movie theater profits. Mm-hmm. But then they just released it on demand the same day it was in theaters. And then mm-hmm. 
you know, you would think that with an army of a thousand lawyers on both sides, like those sorts of, you know, contingencies or situations would be considered or accounted for. But like, could this really be a situation where, um, you know, People Can Fly gets a portion of the of the proceeds for each copy sold, but on the side, their publisher, Square Enix, made mm-hmm. a deal with Game Pass to get money to distribute the game on Game Pass that didn't flow through to the developer. Like, yeah, you know, uh, that, that that sounds like that's a possibility, but that's really fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And like, what a, what a bizarre, like wide open loophole. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's unclear what their royalty arrangement was. Was it based on copies sold dollar amount made? Mm. In which case, you know, I, it, it, we still don't know what the, what the deal with game pass is like I, Xbox pays publishers yeah. or developers to put their games there, but is it like a flat <clears throat> fee? Does do indie developers um, get paid the same amount as AAA developers? Is it is it based on how many downloads they get or time played? It, like it's unclear. I thought it right? was based off. Maybe I'm completely making this up, but I thought we had read or heard that it was based off engagement, like the number of days that a user comes back and plays your game. So you know, if someone plays a game for ten days, like you know, Xbox is paying that publisher more than if they were five days or two days, but. Now I'm wondering if that was a dream. <laughs> what a beautiful basic, dream like, it was. Um, <laughs> the basic, basic fundamental publisher developer relationship is that like everybody was paid basically, or it was kind of subsidized by Square Enix to make this game, right? And then, and then it, the the distribution, and everything is handled by them, which, as you pointed out, could be like additional expenses and stuff like that. So it's like mm. it's an interesting thing, like. Your publisher is going to make sure that like your game gets out and they're going to make sure that you, you got paid for like working on it for what, three, five, seven years. Yeah. You know? And so I then mean, it, the money that you get, that the developer gets the cut of afterwards, that's where I'm like, I don't really know how that, that by company that's going to be distributed in different ways, invested in new projects, possibly with, I mean, it's up to them. They could use a new publisher next time. Right. And so it's like, that's like the little independence of that dev, but like, it probably reflects bonuses and like yeah, things like yeah. that. So, you know, it, it means a lot to them. It seems insane to me. And again, I'm not a business guy, but that, that there's no way for people can fly to verify that like Square Enix is like, you know, uh, people can fly. It's like, did we get a bonus? And Square Enix <laughs> is like, no. And then they say, can we see the, can we see yeah. the bonus? And they're like, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And that's in the contract. And then you wonder, why did Square Enix start doing contracts that way? Why is the opacity to yeah. you know their profits like something that they can't share with the dev? I mean, it's like, probably has to do with investors and stuff like that. I have no idea. But like what like look based off what's inside this box over here, you either get a bonus or you don't. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, can I look inside the box? No, no. you can't look at it. It sounds to me like legally no. People can fly really needs to look at their legal representation and ask if they should be replaced. Cause this sounds like they got like the worst possible contract on this. Like they well, don't, or it's standard. I don't know. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. yeah, it could be standard, but it doesn't, I don't know. You but think we would have heard about this by now. There has to be a way well, to talk about it. Like, maybe others, maybe, maybe it's stipulated that they can't, that they can talk about it, but other people can't. <laughs> Who knows? You know, you have to be able to verify an audit. Like if you're on a partnership that's relying, like one, one party has the performance data yeah, is paying weird, out a percentage right? of that. Like, yeah, man, that's, it's that's, so, and that's a, that's a little bit scary just because people can fly. Is it, you know, what they're Polish, correct? Um, I think so. But, 
you know, this like medium tier dev that like, you know, that's a tough place to be. And you really rely on strong publishing relationships to sort of thrive and grow. So, um, you know, I hope it works out. It's so insane. You know, Square Enix uh, put up a large chunk of money and funded the development, but people can fly are the ones, you know, we know that game development is hard. Uh, there's endless stories about how tough game development is, especially AAA game development. It's like, they're the ones that put in all the blood, sweat, and tears on this game, and now they just, they're left completely in the dark. They have no idea. Can you imagine a, a director of a blockbuster film not having any idea how many people saw his movie or uh-huh. an author not not knowing how many copies were sold or just just com- being left completely in the dark by the publisher it's insane and then I'm then the sure fact that, that all happens and, and the fact that yeah, <laughs> people can fly has a, um, an obligation to their own investors and that they have to like go to them and say well look sorry we 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 don't know how many <laughs> copies were sold but we haven't received our royalties so i guess it didn't sell enough it, it's an it, insane mm- situation it must be pretty acrimonious for them to go public instead of trying to like, instead of trying to send nastigrams privately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, CEO Wojciechowski says, working with the publisher has many advantages, but also its disadvantages. One of them is the low impact of people can fly on sales activities and the incompleteness, or as in this case, the lack of data obtained from the publisher in this regard. This is one of the reasons why apart from working with publishers, we have decided to develop projects whose IP will remain the property of the company and which will be published by the company. That's like what, okay, he's saying like, unless we're working with the publisher, we'll self-publish. Like, isn't that kind of obvious? <laughs> well, maybe it was like, maybe that's referring to being able to like kind of switch publishers and, and you know, that's, they're retaining the ability to do that by not giving up their their intellectual property. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we and self publishing isn't always easy. So sure, sure. I don't know. It's just a crazy situation. Um, Seth, did you spend any time with Outriders or your sons? I'll tell you a little secret about Outriders. Until this story came out, I completely forgot about Outriders, which is yeah, crazy because I remember when it did come out because it was like the only like kind of good game that came out during that period. It's like all anybody <laughs> talked about, and it's free on Game Pass. I have Game Pass. I have not played. <laughs> Outriders. So, uh, I mean, it's not going to help them out, it sounds like. So, oh well. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Although it did sell well right out the gate. Um, it, you know, number three in March, number four in April. It did not crack the top 20 in May and hasn't been on the charts since. So, mm. you Definitely. know, the Game Pass thing is a good point, too. Like, if most people play that game on Game Pass, then it didn't sell copies. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole different financial situation. So, right. But in terms of like how many copies did we sell, that's, that's going to be thrown off by new subscription services in general. The, but as of today, the second best-selling game of the year is MLB The Show, mm-hmm. which launched into Game Pass. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 my point is, I don't think it's Game Pass that's like hurting. Yeah, I'm just saying, uh, like, it, it, it's, going forward, numbers are going to get squishier because that's of, true. That's true. It's just like you know, we don't even know how many uh, Xbox One consoles were sold. Nope. Right. Uh, Square Enix seems to have a problem with publishing its Western-developed games like this. Uh, had similar issues with Marvel's Avengers last summer, kind of making a big splash right at launch, and then the player base quickly evaporating. And even when they did Tomb Raider, the reboot of Tomb Raider, it was like it seemed to be like a success to us. It sold a couple million copies right at launch, and then I think in in its financial, Square Enix said it was a disappointment. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think they kind of, they, there's all three of them stair step down from the one previous, is my understanding. Yeah, I think so. And then meanwhile, Biomutant <laughs> has sold a million copies and made its cost back. What? In a week. Really? Wow. Biomutant made its cost back in a week. 
people love Biomutant. Like that was a game that has been up for pre-order for like two years before it released, even longer than that, I think. And we would, you know, we would just keep like running it as a pre-order guide and people just bought it sight unseen, not knowing anything about it. People were just so excited for Biomutant. So that's really that character creator. Really cool. Yeah, that's nobody knew about the character creator. They just knew there was a raccoon with an eye patch and that was good enough <laughs> for most people. That's a good character. Uh, the developer of Biomutant is Experiment 101. They are owned by Embracer Group. And Embracer Group says, so far the game has sold more than 1 million copies. The full investment into development and marketing, as well as the acquisition cost for Experiment 101 and the IP, was recouped within a week after launch. Wow. Jeez. Hell yeah. Seems like they're handling things better over there. Let's check in with the listeners. Hey, listeners. <laughs> listeners, remember you can always reach us at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. Just like Clark from Cleveland did. Clarkland. He says, last week, Axiom Verge 2 dropped, and though I am excited to get back into it, I must admit I am getting tired of the 8-bit art style, and I've decided I may just wait for it to go on sale. Though I love NES games and their look, all Castlevanias, Mega Man, Mario, Zelda, I am starting to get fatigued on the 8-bit graphics and find myself longing for some 2D graphics a la the SNES and PS1, thinking Super Metroid, Symphony of the Night, uh, Super Castlevania 4, and the Mega Man X series. Wait My question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I, sorry, I, I didn't realize you weren't done. I just, <laughs> I, I, what I, I thought he was referring to all pixel art as eight bit, mm-hmm. but now yeah. he's making a distinction between eight bit and sixteen bit. And uh, Axiom Verge Two is incredibly high res and detailed yes. pixel art. So yeah, I, well, there's lots of colors and everything. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, so I'm a little bit lost with like with, fake, fake pixel art with, that, that would have worked on any system previously. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. You can, you can get to the no, question. It's true. Um, I, I wanted to make that point too. There is a difference between the pixel art in Axiom Verge one and two, and then like Dead Cells. Dead Cells looks more advanced, but still, Axiom Verge is not like strictly eight bit pixel art by any, by any yeah. means. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's really Bloodstained that's doing the most NES look, and even that has moments well, which it could run on an NES. You're thinking of the. Um, the curse of the moon, of the moon. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's true um clarkland says my question for goose camp counselors is two parts one have you ever decided to hold off on buying a, on buying a game because of its graphics and two what 2d graphical art style do you prefer 8-bit hand-drawn or something else entirely for me it depends on the genre but when it comes to platformers i love that snes to ps1 era look it's pretty enough to be stunning and yet at the same time my eyes can pick up what is a sprite and what is just background there's less of a sensory overload i get on hand-drawn games wonder what he's thinking what's like a hand-drawn game uh like some like like i just said like you know, rayman mark of the ninja yeah okay 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 i see what you mean um the first question have you ever decided to hold off on buying a game because of its graphics i guess sure graphics are definitely important to me i've always thought you know as long as games are something that i look at graphics are going to matter but but have you ever held off on buying one though but because somebody was like this is the best game i've ever played it's really ugly like i wouldn't (laughs) that's katamari damasi right like i i would never hold off on playing having played katamari because of that yeah Mm. i've never yeah, I can't. It's never yeah. happened for me that I was like, ah, this game's graphics are pretty ugly. I'm not. It's it's always the opposite. I'm like, this game looks tremendous. Yeah, yep, and I'll cow. play a game just for the graphics, especially when there's new consoles out, especially when I have a PC upgrade or something. But like, like that's pretty rare now, and that used to be a lot more exciting in the, uh, the early Stunt 80s race FX mid late 80s. Yeah, I had to have I, that one. 
I've yeah, I've never passed on a game due to like graphical prowess or power, but like you know, art style can be a big turnoff. Yeah. There there was a good decade where just everything was brown and gray, and like yeah. you know, Gears of War, like in the Gears games are incredible, but it sort of started this aesthetic of like it was a meme, like the bald space marine and the gray and brown game that like was a little bit of a bleak time. <laughs> I'm I'm pleased that we've sort of come out of that with like more color and variety in our games now. But but no, like no like I don't I'm agnostic when it comes to like you know 2D 3D hand drawn pixel art. Yeah, I'm not gonna like not play games, but for my 2D games, I don't like it when they're made of composed of 3D elements. Um, if Same. it's masked a whole lot, then I'm okay with it. But in general, like I I think that's like that's really replaced. You know, there's nothing that's actually made with sprites anymore. It's all faked. That's yep. just not the way things are made. Um, but uh. You know, the the more flat you can get it, I think that just the more appealing it is to me, whether that's, you know, a painterly style or a cartoony style or a pixel art style, all of that works for me. But it's when they start adding like a lot of depth to background. Like, I don't like the new Metroid, like the newest Metroid looks sharp and cool. We'll see how it goes. But I reviewed the previous Metroid, Samus Returns. Mm-hmm. And like, I, you know, it, it looks it looks technically like competent and good, but like, I don't think it matches Metroid. For me, I think Zero Mission does. Like, I think Agreed. that's how Metroid should look. Yeah, a two point five D. It's a great point, Sam. Like, uh, I mean, that's everything that's rebooted is two point five D or three D models. You know, that's played out on a two D plane, like Metroid Dread and um, and uh, the spiritual successor to to Castlevania and Mega Man. Um, I don't find that appealing at all. I'm really excited to play Metroid Dread. Like, you know, it's a two D Metroid game. I'm going to play it. I'm going to love it. But like aesthetically, it's not my thing. And new Super Mario Brothers is the first time where it really yep. started to bug me. I just never, That's a great never liked how it looks. Like I just what? don't like how it looks. Those That's are a great wonderful. example. They look fantastic. No, no yeah. people. The Nintendo fan base is, is clearly divided on new Super Mario Brothers. Oh, well, the games are excellent, but like I don't think there's the, anybody. The, the visuals, the visuals, the visuals. Uh, I don't think they're that divided. <laughs> I mean, I I've I've posted about this before, like in, on Twitter and in the Game Scoop group on Facebook, and it has its supporters. For sure. Okay. Yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a good example. I never played the new Super Mario Brothers games because I thought oh, they were ugly. Oh, you are missing out, Damon. Uh, they are, they are they, wonderful. Well, they are wonderful when, games. When my kids are older, maybe those will be games again. Yeah, play with those them. are so great rude. games to play with kids. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So you, you know can, what the fun one is? Is that new Super Mario Brothers two, which was all about collecting coins. They just completely made that game about. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one that was on uh, 3DS. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very, very different, and uh, mm. that one's kind of like a spin-off game that I'd recommend. Over one uh, underrated oh, thing fun. about playing those games with kids, Damon, we played Super Mario 3D World and New Super Mario Brothers. Me and my daughter is I can literally carry her through the level. <laughs> yeah, mm. and that's like such a. She's like, oh, this part's tricky, and I just go yoink and pick her up, and then like jump <laughs> through the section, and then put her back down, and she can play again. And it, it but feels- if you're playing with assholes, they pick you up all the time and throw you into things. Yeah, it's true. It's- then she picks me up and throws me in the pit, and then we turn the game off. <laughs> Okay, this is Mike from Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Mike says, long time, first time, I love the only video game podcast. In Canada, our electronics boutiques are converting to GameStops now, despite being the same company for years. While EB slash GameStop have some practices I don't support, it made me think of some older stores we've lost along the way. In Canada, we used to have a store called Consumers Distributing. 
oh. where you would order you would order via catalog or go in store and tell the clerk what you'd want. If they had it in stock, they'd go in the back and get it. The store floor was small, didn't have any merchandise, as it was almost exclusively catalog-based. It was Amazon before Amazon. Would have been great during the pandemic. 30 years too early, I guess. I picked up some of my favorite NES and Super Nintendo games there. I'd love to hear what Camp Goose's favorite memories of a defunct video game or toy store are. Oh, man. I like, There's so I like many this of question. them. I know. I, um, uh, I ordered yeah. Final Fantasy 2 for the Super NES, which is Final Fantasy 4, whatever. It'll always be Final <laughs> Fantasy 2 to me. Uh, from an, uh, a retailer in the back of Electronic Gaming Monthly called Chips and Bits, which was located in Vermont. Oh. And for one... <laughs> At one like brief period, it was actually the biggest like mail order retailer. They went online when online shopping was still new and they were the biggest in the world for like a wow. minute. But the reason I ordered from them was because they were the only retailer that did uh COD and I had like eighty dollars <laughs> cash and I didn't you know, I'm a I didn't have a credit card. I was like fourteen or something. So yeah. Cash on delivery for our younger listeners. Yes, cash on delivery. That's when the the uh the the delivery person would come to your house and you would give them the money for the package that they were delivering. And then the, uh, the, the delivery person would send that money back to the company. Uh, given the crooked nature of our delivery person at the time, I'm pretty sure they never saw that money. But uh, yeah, that was a very exciting thing for me. I think that was probably the first game I ever mail ordered. Good game. Mm. Wow. It is a good game. Um, was Final Fantasy 2, you said? Yeah, Final, I mean it's not my favorite. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong, Final Fantasy three. No, that was a which is that was a huge game for me. Like, it was such a I love Final Fantasy one so much, and it was like such oh, yeah. a major, major cool thing to have that when it came out. I was actually time. sick from uh, school when it was supposed mm-hmm. to be delivered, and my parents were told the delivery guy to just drive by my house because I lived in a very small town, and I could I knew his truck, and so he just like tortured me for like an hour. He would just drive by, like slow <laughs> oh. down, and, like speed up again. Uh, your your parents pranked you? Yeah, they thought it'd be a funny goof. <laughs> well, jokes on them because I made a career oh. out of video games. <laughs> take, yeah, yeah, take that, Dad, is a huge motivator for me personally as well. <laughs> uh, Sam, how about you? Well, I, you know, Damon and I had a little pre-production conversation about this, and all of my takes were negative on game stories growing up. So I'll, I will share a positive. But the thing is, is that the, the, my positive memories are from uh, kiosks. I love kiosks and I still like them. I would totally collect kiosks if I didn't already collect refrigerator size versions of other machines. <laughs> so um, uh, they, uh, the two, but here's another thing. <clears throat> the stores that I went to are still, well, I guess they're one of them's around because Best Buy was a place I went to all the time to get uh, to play, you know, like Nintendo 64 kiosk when it had. Mario 64 and stuff like that. But I do remember Toys R Us earlier in that having the big, big, puffy Game Boy, which is like oh. a giant full sized, not full mm-hmm. size. It's a, you know, like a, a giant sized Game Boy with beautiful, like backlit display, which Game Boys didn't even have. And then you could play on, I think, smaller Game Boys in front of it were the controllers uh, and it would show it up on the screen. And I remember playing, you know, Tetris and Mario Land and stuff that way. And then they did a weird thing where you had to like get a piece of paper and then take it to the front desk. Oh yeah. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a big Toys R Us thing. Yeah. And KB toys, I believe did that too. And I, I I remember, um, so I really liked going to the store and playing those games. That was like a big fun memory I have. And then the other thing I was going to bring up is, uh, the shows uh, Nickelodeon had one of these where the kids would go, um, to Mm -hmm. KB toys and then sweep out as many toys as they could into the Nickelodeon toy run. Yeah. I think it was was Toys R Us, but, 
Sure. Yes. Yeah. It was a Toys R Us. We might. Exactly. There's different versions of that show. Mm. So uh, I don't know who saw what because I remember KB ones because they were tight and tight little aisles and like because yeah. KB was a toy in a shopping mall. Right. And so yeah. you, they'd be running their cart through and then there'd be like the Star Wars toys and it'd be like all Ewoks by then. It'd be like later 80s, you know, mm-hmm. and then they'd have like but they'd have the Nintendo games. And I was always like, this is a smart kid not to be stuffing a giant bike into a cart, but just to go there and just get six copies of Rygar and 20 <laughs> copies of Life Force. And I was like, that's a good investment. <laughs> that I was thinking as a kid. But yeah, then I have like really bad memories of going to Babbage's and like my dad being like, you can't play Lemmings on our computer because we don't have a hard drive. <laughs> I was like, what's a hard drive? Yeah, I like I liked going to Babbage's because um, back then it was it was they had a lot of like you said PC games and software, and we never had a computer growing up. So like I could go there and look at all the PC games and look at the the artwork on the back and like fantasize about playing all these point and click adventures and Leisure so Suit Larry cool. games and big boxes, uh, police quests and uh, quest for glory and all that stuff. I love just looking at all these PC games that I didn't have access to. Yeah. One time I was uh, flying to St. Louis where a lot of my extended family lives. And my grandfather's there. He's a, he's a big gamer. He always had PCs and, and, and built uh, computers. Um, he uh, had a Commodore 64. That's where I played that. And, and a Commodore 128 later. And uh, my mom and I went to like an airport kiosk or like, like a, like a, you know, it was like a standalone little booth and it had all of Commodore 64 games in it. And this would have been like, I mean, I was really young because this was, you know, Commodore 64 early mid eighties, like 1985 or something. Right. One of my earliest memories. And they had like all of these games up on there. And she's like, pick one out. Do you think that, that, you know, your grandfather would like. And that was like a crazy cool like experience to have as a kid, you know? Mm. And because I was like, oh, I'm going to pick out a game that I would like, but I really thought about it. Like, what would he like too? And so I got a game called Lunar Leaper. And it was like a choplifter type game. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Great. I like choplifter. Yeah. That's a good one. It had like an alien with like three yeah. eyes on stocks in the front or something too. Like, great. <laughs> yeah. Justin, Justin, what were video game or toy stores like where you grew up? Well, see, this is the thing. Like, I don't. I I never had any money. Um, I got my birthday. My birthday's in February. So I got in this good habit of this one, two punch of like, I'd put a bunch of things on my Christmas list. And then birthday was like Christmas cleanup. Like whatever I didn't get, I had a second chance <laughs> for my birthday. But then those are my video games for the year. Like I didn't yeah, really get an allowance similar. growing up. And so, um, but what I do remember is going to Walden books and g- getting sci-fi and fantasy books and that was my, you know, th- like video games were like $40 and a book was like $5. And so it, it was this combination of they're much cheaper and I didn't have any money. And like the internet didn't exist in like the form that it takes today. So it's like rendezvous with Rama. What's this? Well, there's four of them. Like now I have something to come back and get next time. Like, and so I would usually go to the mall and buy, you know, some, it was like a sci-fi and fantasy novel lottery. Cause I had no idea if they were any good or not. And the and, covers were amazing. And the covers were amazing. So, you know, Hyperion and, you know, Dune and, and all those books that are actually still on my bookshelf to this day. I bought when I was, you know, 12 because because I didn't have money for video games. Was that at Capitol Mall? Is that what it's called? <laughs> no, that was up in Cedar Rapids. Is, so, does Capitol Mall still exist in Iowa City? Yeah, it's yes, it does. Um, it's, I, I played Aladdin's Castle arcade games there quite a bit. Oh, I played a play choice yeah. 10 there. And they had a Walden, I think, because Iowa had this great bookstore. Iowa City had a great bookstore called Prairie Lights, which I think is still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cool indie bookstore. And I bought like some like 
uh, you know, like my dad got me like mouse there like yep. growing up, which oh, is like wow. a really cool comic to kind of, you know, read as a kid. And stuff. Oh, M-A-U-S. That one, yeah. yeah. You know what else Iowa has? Biggest truck truck stop in America. In America? In America. Uh, is it one uh, of the ones that goes over the highway? Uh, I think it does. All I know I is that when we drove this country, we got to Iowa and I told my wife, the biggest truck stop in America is in this state and we must stop at it. And I don't yeah. really remember. All I know, it had lots of Dreamcatcher themed shirts. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, it was real good stuff. Sounds like it could be in Arizona. <laughs> it was the thing in Quartzsite, yes. Yep. Uh, let's see, I, I started playing on the Atari 2600, but I don't really have remember seeing Atari games in stores. I, no. I, maybe, I may have been too young to re- have retained I missed the cutout bin thing, too. Like, Jared will oh, talk about that. I remember like that, yeah. Bin. yeah. Just bins of, like... Of discounted games, we yeah. I, my, my parents took us to Sears, and it's like I, we have ten dollars. You can buy ten games. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. So, like, I remember seeing NES games first, and in in Kansas um, City in Overland Park, there was Children's Palace. That was our place. I think it was a local chain, cool. and it was around the corner from my grandparents' house. And it was like my favorite place in the world. It was just like a Toys R Us, but a local yeah. toy store, big toy store. Rows and rows of, you know, Judges, Transformers, dinosaurs, oh, and all that stuff. It was dang. amazing. And then I remember the um, the early NES games, the Black Box series, just being on a wall there and all hanging on the wall. Oh, man. You know, shrink-wrapped. On the hang tabs. Yeah, on the hang tabs. Everyone shrink-wrapped. Thing. You, can, you can pick each one up, turn around, look at the back. I clearly remember that, I, looking at every single one. That's and then, great. And then going back several times, and one day, there's a gold cartridge there, and it's Le- yeah. Legend of Zelda. And it was, yeah, mm-hmm. it looked, looked so good. The, and then the, speaking of K, KB Toys, a couple of years later, when the NES was, you know, really, really super popular, they put all the games behind the cash register, I think. So you had mm-hmm. to, like, ask for them to hand them to you. And I, I, I remember getting a Bionic Commando that way. And Bionic oh. Commando was $55. I clearly remember my Ugh. angel of a grandpa playing, paying $55 for Bionic Commando in 1988 or whatever. Oh, my God. My, yeah, I remember Mega Man expensive 3. games. Yeah, Mega Man 3 was the... First game I bought, I had Christmas money. I had a hundred dollars. I felt like you know one of the kings and queens of Europe, and I spent <laughs> seventy something to buy Mega Man Three at a mall in Burlington. Ooh, three's Ooh. underrated. Three's yeah, a good but one, it's right? no yeah. two. <laughs> I feel it's like they're pretty. Favorite. I feel like they're on par. I, I, I would, Mega Man, Mega Man Two gets all the love, but like three, three is very good. That's mm, Seth's favorite game. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, okay. but three is my favorite Mega Man, but I love two. I think three, like I like the jams in it, and then I love the the shadow bosses and the. I mean, it's so cool. That I mean, Mega that's Man the thing. Bosses, yeah, like, you get all the Mega Man two bosses again in three, so it's kind of like, well, yeah. what a cool twist. Agree to disagree. <laughs> you don't even like Mega Man three? No, I like Mega Man three a lot. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I do. I just think that Mega Man two is just like sure. so much better in every possible way. Every possible way. Every possible way. <laughs> Even though three is one more than two. You can't slide in it. (laughs) All that stuff Uh, took away from the purity of the experience. Don't you ever say that about Rush? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really like this question about video game stores. I I enjoyed reminiscing uh, about that time of my life. But I will say, man, video game uh, shopping today just, just sucks. Especially at Target, where the games are all locked up. And you have to, like, go and find an employee and, like... Bring them back. Yeah, I want this game. I'm an adult asking you, a kid, to un- to get- please unlock this game for me. God, it's just yeah, the worst. And the game you want is usually out of stock because that's why you're there, which is a problem. <laughs> yeah. um, and then GameStop, it's funny. I, you know, The last game stores I've ever even been to 
which is rare, was that there is a GameStop on by IGN yep. um, in San Francisco uh, yeah. on Market Street, which is like for people who haven't been to San Francisco, it's like a very, very busy touristy and, you know, like like city center area, which has just a lot of shopping and, you know, it, it, it's kind of grimy there. Um, that GameStop was like I would go there to get games uh, that we needed to like cover for some reason that, you know, for whatever reason. I go by there and uh, they would have every all the new games would just be in a big stack behind the counter. Uh, and that's what people were buying. And then the rest of the store was just merchandise like um, shirts and stuff. Right. There wasn't really like, you know, a lot of box shopping. There's like maybe a few used games. It was just such a weird, different experience. <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, you can get a game on day one, probably more reliably than getting it on Amazon. Right. So that was the end result of what retail is. And who knows what it'll be after these two years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no browsing. It's just I yeah, I would yeah. like to exchange this money for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare yeah. as fast <laughs> as possible. Exactly. Um, there's an older IGN story about GameStop. Back when IGN was in its older office in Brisbane, just outside of San Francisco, back then it was IGN's policy to review everything. We reviewed absolutely every game that was released on every platform. <clears throat> and so publishers sent us a lot of games to review, but not everything. So we would make weekly trips to the GameStop at the... Uh, the mall. What's the, the t- starts with the T, Sam? Tanfran. Tanfran. <clears throat> the GameStop at the Tanfran Mall every week to buy the new games that are out that didn't get sent to us for review. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't think I have run to that mall in any official capacity, but I remember going to a very sad food court there with co workers in like 2008. Yeah. <laughs> I was yes. like, I don't think I need to go to lunch here with you guys anymore. <laughs> Yeah, there was an epic discussion between Hillary and Ryan Clements where Hillary didn't finish all of his fries, but he put his napkin down on his tray and Ryan Clements asked if he could finish his fries. But Hillary was like, no, I've already put my napkin on there. They're done. They're done. The fries are done. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, (laughs) One more question here from Kermit. We have a question from Kermit. It says, really enjoy the show. I was, it has reignited my love for video games, helped a lot with pandemic fatigue. Nice. I've got a question for discussion. Since I have more downtime in the pandemic, I've been going back to beat games that I missed. I've been gaming since the 80s, but I've missed some huge games. I'm currently working on Super Metroid, and I love it. Oh. The question is, am I robbing myself of the original experience by using videos and guides on some of these old school games, or should I play these games blindly since that's the way most have experienced it? Ooh. Use the video in the guide, man. I say like there's there's no if I go back and play a JRPG that I didn't like if I hadn't played Chrono Trigger, there's no chance I wouldn't be playing that game without a guy being like, here's where you go next. Yeah. Yeah. What I was going to say is back in the day, none of us were playing these games blind because every video game magazine covered the hell out of any any game that was you know even remotely popular we were pouring over the maps that were laid out in the screens we've seen all the bosses they would just publish pictures of the bosses yep. and how to beat them so like that we were we really weren't going into these games blind it was in the manual <laughs> yeah they're all yeah. in the manual too yeah i mean and then like they would nintendo would publish those strategy guides mm-hmm. specifically mm-hmm. for the game like the super yeah. metroid I'd strategy say- guide or the chrono trigger strategy guide i think i have mm-hmm. A couple of those lying around here somewhere. They but. feel like supplementary content because they're yeah. like so yeah. cool and official. Or you yeah, just would go say. to school on Monday and be like, hey, I played this game over the weekend <laughs> and I'm stuck. And some other kid would be like, nah, that's because you're an idiot mm-hmm. and you need to solve this puzzle. Yet, and when, the word when, spoilers did not exist because then they'd be <laughs> like, and in the end, you get to see Mario and he's sleeping in a little bed and the fairies <laughs> throw all, these, all, all the, uh, throw the bad guy into the pit. Or, <laughs> 
you punch bald guy. You punch bald bull in the stomach on his third bounce, and then you punch King Hippo in the balls when his pants fall down. Yep. <laughs> you shoot Hitler in the end of the game. <laughs> it is worth um, getting through that game. Yeah, Kermit. I was gonna say actually, if you could find a strategy guide from back in the day for all these games, like the Super Metroid strategy guide, I think playing along with those would be a really fun way to to revisit those games. Yeah, and Earthbound shipped with a strategy guide. It's true. Um, and the strategy guide is more of a, it's not very helpful actually as a strategy guide. It's more of like a series of postcards for each location you go with mm. like, like again, like just tons of supplemental information and art that's just not in the game. And now cool. it's very helpful to show how much of a true Earthbound fan you are. You had that strategy. <sighs> yeah. $300 on it. Yeah, I have the strategy guide, but I don't have the giant box. Bummer. I have here. Oh, well, I'll show you. <laughs> oh, he's gone. He can't. Damon, quick. Damon can't hear us. His headphones are off. <laughs> I love going to game stores and digging through their old strategy guide sections. There's I, you can turn I'm, up all kinds of cool stuff. I'm still in possession of Sam's copy. Of the oh, Final Fantasy my strategy God. Guide. Oh, I love because, that. When that came- <laughs> I borrowed it from Sam, like right before the pandemic, That's right <laughs> before we went into lockdown. Well, what when, were you going to do with it? I was playing through Final Fantasy. Nice. You were, you were using it as a guide? Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> I mean, that's, no, that's, that's, what that's exactly what I just said to Kermit. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that's not what it's for in the year of our Lord 2021. Why the not? Day. That's what that's what, that's what what IGN Wikis and GameFAQs is for. Uh, that's well, no, for, I like that's for lording the over the oldest it. paper ones. It's fun just to add the context of them. Yeah. That one, that cover would totally sell me on Final Fantasy as a. Uh, oh my god! Turns out the day that that arrived, it arrived to like <laughs> me and all my friends. And my friend called me up and he's like, "Dude, the Final Fantasy strategy guide is here, and our friend Scott is on the cover." And that little like guy holding a sword <laughs> looks exactly like my friend Scott, mullet and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're you're revisiting an old game from your childhood and also revisiting another a physical part of your childhood at the same yeah. time. Yeah, Absolutely. no, no, no. I, I I get that. I just I get worried about wear and tear on old stuff. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, wow. Actually, I'm being... up, I, yeah, I think I had a tattered version of that that I had to buy a nice copy of. I bought that from Chris Kohler. That's been in a lot of industry hands. Wow. <laughs> it was uh, published for $3.50 back in the day, but it looks like Sam paid $15 for it. <laughs> That's a good I think deal. I got a Those deal because I helped, hot right helped Chris move a bunch of stuff to California. <laughs> <laughs> Play to win strategies straight from the pros. <laughs> That was uh, when before Nintendo went uh, monthly. Nintendo Power went monthly. It was bi-monthly, and then they started to supplement with those strategy guides. And they're like, you know what? Kids want to issue oh, this right. magazine yeah. every month. So it here was like you October, go. November. Yep, like that would be the, 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 the Super Mario Three one, the Final Fantasy one. Those are the first two that I. And can there's think the of. Ninja Gaiden, and then four which had the pullout about how to be a ninja, which we all immediately pulled out and like started <laughs> making masks for. Maybe that was just me and my friends. And do you remember the the disappointing one, the four player special? It was like for the four player satellite. <laughs> oh man, that that hot peripheral that every kid wanted to have. Yeah, you can play Othello with your friends. <laughs> I think it's, I can't remember what Othello's. And that brings us to Video Game 20 Questions. Our suggestion this week comes from Jeremy. Let the questioning begin. You just reminded me. Sorry, I just, I I don't want to forget to back the hand-drawn game guide Kickstarter. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You just reminded me. I did do that already. I I, I I pulled it up just now. I'll do it after the show. 
I showed off the um, uh, the Zelda guide uh, last year. Good. I got it. It's amazing. And then I, 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 again, I used it to play through the Legend of Zelda for the first time in uh, decades. And it was one of the most enjoyable things I did last year. Awesome. Nice. You had a kid last year. Or was that two years ago? That was two years ago. Okay. I said one of the, and yeah. then one of, one of the most enjoyable <laughs> gaming things I did last year. Okay. Fair enough. Sure, raising my son was enjoyable too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to, out of the way. <laughs> to be to be fair, they're not that enjoyable when they're in the little meatloaf stage. They get it, 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 Oof, he is enjoyable today. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> they get more fun as you go. We haven't hit the terrible part of the twos. He's just super fun two year old. Yeah, yeah. It's just anyway, a baby face. I don't like. Video game twenty questions. <laughs> was this game uh, out before uh, the year two thousand? No. All right. Can you play this on Switch? Yes. Did it originally come out on a Nintendo platform? On a, exclusively on a Nintendo platform, sorry. No. Is it an indie game? Yes. It's on Switch, and it's an indie, so that narrows it down to 43 million possibilities. <laughs> Did it originally come out... Was the Switch the... F- what I'm tr- I'm trying to get it if it's an older game or if it was ported to Switch, but I can't ask current gen because the Switch spans the PS4 and PS5. Well, generation. I mean, if it came out after 2000, I can't imagine like. Well, actually, I was going to say, did this game? All of those are after 2000. Did this game originally come out after 2010? Yes, that's five. Is this so, the uh, first in a series, or I mean, I guess you say, does this have sequels? No. Hmm. It's a one-off indie a, game, multi-platform indie game. Is this a pixel art style game? No. Okay, well, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Lost. Hmm. Uh, is this game available on a physical... Is there a physical Switch cart version of it? Mm, I don't know. That's a tricky question because... You know, stuff like Limited Run Games does so many oh, indie games. Right. And I, I don't know. Mm. Is this a single player game? Yes. Hmm. Did you? What was was the question? Pixel art? Or was the question? Is it two D? No, I asked if it was a pixel art game, and the answer was no. Okay, but it could still be like uh, uh, Bloodstained. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, any of those 2.5D games that it, we are not drawn to. Is this a Switch console exclusive? Like, as in it's not on PlayStation and Xbox? No. It is not a Switch console exclusive. Okay. Was this game developed in the, in, in, I mean, I don't know, the United States? Yes. That's 10. <clears throat> but, it, but it's an indie, Switch a multi platform indie. indie. Maybe it's like Stardew or Undertale. Or it's- but it's not. Yeah, it's not a pixel art. Yeah. yeah. Multi-platform um, indie game, post 2010, on the Switch, and other platforms. And other platforms. It's a one-off. One genre. <laughs> Is uh. Uh yeah. Is Gone Home on Switch? I don't think it ever came to Switch. 
Um, is this game play? Is this a first person game? First person was it played from a first person perspective? No. Okay, so there, there goes that. Um. Uh, this is the point where I start looking around my room. Is yeah. this an action game, an adventure game, or an action adventure game? No. <laughs> okay, that worked out this time. <laughs> but it, and it's not first person, so it's unlikely to be like a shooter. I mean, what, I mean, it could be a puzzle game. It could be puzzle game. It could be rhythm, like something. I want. What's a third genre like that? Is this a puzzle game, a rhythm game, or a fighting game? No. So it could still be an RPG. It could be an RPG with 3D graphics that was made in the U.S. That's Indian no sequels. Well, maybe. we don't know if it's 3D graphics. We just know it's not pixel. pixel. It could be 2D. Like, uh, yeah. What was that EA 2D violent game where you were slashing everybody up with swords? Oh, uh, Sword Slash. Sword about Child, Child of Eden. Slashy Swordy. Uh, that was Ubisoft. Oh, yeah, so which it's not indie. Yeah, and I guess it can't be the EA game either. Is this game played from a 2D perspective? Is this a 2D game? Yes. But 2D, not pixel art. Mm-hmm. All right. Single player. Not first person. <laughs> I feel like we should have it or like yeah. zeroing in. I mean, I don't know if our genre stuff has eliminated platformers. Is it just a platformer? We didn't eliminate platformers. Is this a platformer? No, that's 15. Oh, we're bound. <laughs> I mean, is it like some weird like pad upon style thing? That would be a wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. Good point. So it's not, so it's not because I was thinking like, you know, like Taiko Drum Master and like weird stuff like that, which is why I asked about rhythm. So it's not a fighting, action adventure, puzzle, <laughs> platformer, or uh, what was the other one I said? Shooter. No, I didn't say shooter. The other one we was... Uh, we haven't eliminated shooters or... We haven't eliminated shooters, but it's 2D, but not pixel art. It's a US-made indie game. Oh, we should have it. I wonder if it's like one of those FMV games or something like that. <laughs> uh, it, it, well, we, it, could it be a point and click adventure or a visual novel? Could it be like a, like a, uh, yeah, like one of the Phoenix rights or something like that. Can we just ask if you commit acts of violence in this game. I think that's a good, <laughs> I, Do you I, commit acts of violence in this game. <laughs> Yes. Hmm. It's not the witness. <laughs> and does this game involve a lot of uh, reading? Are you reading a lot of text in this game? Yes. Two questions left. Uh-huh. Two questions left. Oh, and, <laughs> and, then, and then a guess. Usually. I mean, so it's. By now, it's totally I've like something ruined. It's story heavy, you know. It's totally like, um, you know, it's totally like a. I know Fire Emblem is made by Nintendo, but like it's something like that, like a Disgaea or you know. For the record, some, I did not say it was story heavy. 
You just well, said there's the a lot se- of reading. Mm-hmm. What, what, what? That could be like item descriptions and stuff. No, it can't. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it could, but I would be mad if that were the case. It's that portable version of Wikipedia that they put out before internet uh, was widely available. What's a game that has a lot of reading that's not story heavy? Tell me that. Indeed. Disgaea? Oh my god, that's like... I mean, so, you know... I know it's right there. Come on, we gotta... It could be 80 days. Mm-hmm. That's story heavy. Yeah, but Damon didn't say it's not story heavy. He likes to do that junk to us sometimes too. Uh, yeah, I know, but he said indeed when you asked that question because who made uh, Scribble Knots? That's not an indie game. That was like a Ubisoft game. And there's a bunch of them. Yeah, there's a million Scribble Knots games. I mean, I know Damon kind of gave us a hint with the with the uh, in, with the story heavy versus lots of reading, but eighty days matches every single thing we've said so far. Lots of reading, 2D, no pixel art, not any of the genres we listed. Adventure. Uh, I, 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 I don't know what genre. I would probably call that game an interactive novel. Hmm. I'm not I think we limited that, that with adventure. Yeah, maybe you're right. Um, so we don't know if it's an RPG or not, right? <laughs> right we don't it's just unusual for indie rpgs to exist yeah as one-offs and as 3d graphics yeah oh that's like, an important thing the one-off yeah so it couldn't be it'd be like a brawler like that duck game or something like that. it's single player only but lots of reading what about that game where you like shoot all those daggers really quickly and it lasts like two minutes devil daggers that, that was called. You're, I think you're shooting them out of your fingertips in that game. <laughs> Definitely not. I think that game is the opposite of a lot of reading. It's very, oh my god, very apparent what's going on in that game from the moment you hit start. Yeah, and the other it, reading part is weird. I don't know. I don't think we're going to get this one. Uh, this is it? How, we have two questions and a guess, or one? Two guess? questions and a guess. Yeah, two questions and a guess. Is this game? Is this an RPG? No. I I still think it might be 80 days, although although I d- the developers Inkle and I don't actually think they're in the United States. I think they're in Europe. Oh, I I don't know. I can't remember. What about that series of games that was? Uh, that's not on Switch. There's that cool um, text adventure series. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Uh, hmm. we can just give up this one. You don't want to ask uh, one more question? Wait, wait, I got I got one more question. Oh, there's one more before we get to guess. Yeah, before we guessed. Is uh it's back to the art style again. Is uh is the art style like stick figures? No. Oh, so it's not West of Loathing. Okay. I'll All just, right. We'll oh, you're not even gonna let us guess. That means I was saying, I was gonna, I'm just saying we're 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 at that point. Do you have a well, guess or I don't I don't think this is right, but just to go out swinging, is it eighty days? It is not 80 days. Oh. No, I'm afraid not. All right. Um, this is a game released in 2019. It's available on everything. Uh, it was developed by Megacrit, published by Humble Bundle, and it is Slay the Spire. Mm. Mm. Sports. Lots of reading. 
but not uh, story heavy. I don't, I don't. Oh I don't. man. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like the last couple of times I've sent one up to the commission, I was uh, overruled and proven wrong. <laughs> Is this not an RPG? No, it's a roguelike deck building game. Roguelike deck building. Right. I, mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I agree that there's lots of reading in Slate. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hundreds of every cards. Card has words on it. Yeah. <laughs> Hundreds of cards and uh, lots of dialogue from your enemies. Yeah. it's In terms of gameplay mechanic, I'm with Damon here. You do a lot of reading to play this game. If you can't read, you're not playing this game. (laughs) That's true. That's true, Mario Brothers. You're going to be fine. But it's all just like like mechanics. Like there's people who their entire Magic the Gathering card is foreign, non-English cards. Because all you need to see is the art and then you know. Haven't we had Slay the Spire multiple times? Like... I don't know. Nobody knows. Actually, you, one you, person knows. You <laughs> know, Damon, when you're playing that game, you don't need to read the card every single time. On, by your third time through, you're like, yep, that's a shiv. I know exactly what it does and how it works. It's uh, just game. I don't know. There's, there's enough classes and enough different cards. I think I do a okay. lot of reading. Well, until, couldn't. Yeah. And especially even like something like Hearthstone, they're, refra- they're adding new cards often enough that I still have to, still have to read. Yeah. Okay. Although I realized something, we have time for this anecdote, Justin, about Hearthstone. As much as I play Hearthstone, um, I identify every single card by its art, and I don't know what any of the cards are called. That's what I just said. That's why I said people have foreign language magic decks because they know what the rules of the card are. And all they need st- to- yeah, yeah, but I'm still yeah. reading the, like the text on the card, just not the actual name of the card or the character or the spell or whatever. No. I have no idea. You're like, that's the red, the red goblin yep. guy. And yep. I, yep. you know, <laughs> I know what he, I know what his death rattle is. <laughs> anyway, thank you for the suggestion, Jeremy. Uh, if you have uh, listeners have their own suggestions for 20 questions, email them to me at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. Justin, did you want to plug that Kickstarter or was that already done? Uh, Oh, just the hand-drawn game guides is a really cool Kickstarter that uh, I'm going to back before it closes. Is it closing today? No, 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 no. Okay. But I just, I got, I got like a pang of anxiety in the middle of this show. Where I'm like, <laughs> like did they're, I miss it? The hardcover uh, versions. Just wow. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Thank you to Alan working behind the scenes to make this episode possible. My name is Damon. This is IGN Game Soup, and we're out. Bye. Bye.